You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley. I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin and JT English. What's up? Hey, Kyle. What's going on? Hey, Kyle. Oh, you know, <laughs> we've spent the whole day together. And now we're pretending, we have, we're pretending we like it's fresh and new and it's not. <laughs> pretend we've been talking to one another for five hours now. So here we go. Well, but today. This is the first podcast. First this podcast. is the first podcast. Yeah, the rest of the stuff has been fun, but not podcast. But today is our last episode dot, dot, dot in Genesis. But it's not our last episode of the season. Our last episode of the season is next week. It's a Q&A episode. Uh, and uh, those are always a lot of fun. So thank you. A lot of you have submitted questions online. We're really grateful. We won't be able to get to all those questions, but um, we're excited to get to jump into some of them. And today, not getting to all of it is a great way to summarize what this episode is going to feel like because we are wrapping up Genesis and it is eight whole chapters today on the docket. And I just want to prepare you. Blessed listener, we are not going to cover this exhaustively. So if you tweet us and say, I wish you would have talked about this, I can promise you, we wish we would have too. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we covered 50 chapters of Genesis in two seasons, uh, and uh, we were going to have to paraphrase and skim some parts of it, and that will be true today. So thank you for your patience with us. We've really had fun doing Genesis. And in next week's Q&A episode, we're going to tell you we are also in a book of the Bible for next year, for both seasons, and uh, you'll find out next week. Uh, we're pretty we'll excited at- about it. We're thrilled. It's third Corinthians. Thrilled. Third Corinthians. That's the dream. It's Paul's shopping list. <laughs> uh, so let's before we jump into before we jump into wrapping up Genesis today, as if we don't have enough to cover already. Let's let's do a bit of recap. Because today we're going to jump into talking about Joseph in Egypt and his brothers coming to him. But maybe this is somebody's first episode of Knowing Faith, or maybe some of our listeners have forgotten because it's been a very long and winding road to get to where we find ourselves today. So let's do a little bit of recap. In the beginning, dot, 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 what happens, Jen? Yeah, God created the heavens and the earth. And so in the first 11 chapters, we got what is called the primeval history, where you get the story all the way up to uh, the Tower of Babel. And then in these last, uh, what is that, 39 chapters, we have seen the, what is called the patriarchal history. And so you get the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then Joseph. And we have noted that as we've mapped through those stories, that Joseph actually is given the lion's share of space in the stories of those four principal figures. So kind of significant. And these stories are asking and answering basic questions for us. Where did we come from? Why are we here? Who made everything? And then they begin to ask and answer basic questions that would have been top of mind for the original audience, um, Israel, who is in the wilderness awaiting entering into the promised land. And it's giving them a sense of their roots. This is where you came from and their shoots. This is where you are headed. And so the Joseph story is going to complete that whole feeling of, ah, how did we get here? Like, why are we, why were we enslaved in Egypt? Um, and, And that's the point that this story brings us up to. Yeah. And Joseph is the son of who, JT, Bible quiz, pop quiz. Pop quiz. He's the son of Jacob or Israel. And Jacob is the son of Isaac. 
And Isaac is the son of Abraham. Wow, you just passed the test. Congratulations, brother. I just felt like I was passing Jen Wilkins' Bible quiz, mm-hmm. and I actually finally got a couple of the questions right. That's yeah, maybe. Oh, good. my gosh. But I do think that's important. I mean, it's not just that these are anybody. This is the family line that in Genesis chapter 12, when we went through these verses 1 through 3, we said these are some of the most significant verses in the Bible. It's really hard to understand the narrative of Genesis to Revelation without the story of this family. This is the mm-hmm. family that God says, I'm going to redeem and renew and bring my kingdom back to the world through. So yeah. you think back to Genesis chapter 12, through you, Abraham, I'm going to bless the nations. My presence will be with you. I'm going to give you a land from which to rule from. And so that really functions as the, the plot line and the narrative of how is God going to do this despite Abraham and his family's unbelievable disobedience? How is God going to remain covenantally faithful to his people. And here we find, again, the story is kind of taking these strange turns. You have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all, all their rebellion and disobedience. But now you have Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery. He's now living in Egypt. This is where we left off last time. And the family just appears to be utterly dysfunctional, mm-hmm. un, unable to follow God or his law, basically at any turn, except for a few uh, glimmers and high points. And you're asking yourself, the like if you're trying to be a good reader of Genesis and read it canonically, which we've defined before as the story of the Bible, you have to mm-hmm. be asking yourself the question, what is God going to do through this family? How is mm-hmm. he going to bring reconciliation with when the brother that seems to be rising to fame has been sold into slavery by his brothers? He's now living in Egypt and the rest of the family is experiencing dysfunction in the land that is now, as we're going to learn, have unbelievable famine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And in a weird plot twist, the forsaken brother is going to end up becoming uh, the conduit of God's blessing to not only his family, but to the nations as God had promised Abraham. And so let's dive into that today. Uh, Joseph, the last episode we, we were in, Joseph got positioned to be the right hand of Pharaoh in Egypt. How did that happen? Well, he was a dreamer, and as, as a result of being able to interpret the dreams of others, he uh, rose to positions of favor. He was also really good at his job. Any 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 responsibility he was given, he just stepped into. Um, he was good at overseeing, it turns out, which is a little ironic because he was because he was an overseer over his brothers that they hated him in the first place. But it turns out he had been aptly assigned his job. So he rises to prominence and um, unsurprisingly, we saw a lot of parallels in those earlier chapters as he rises to the right hand of Pharaoh between him mm-hmm. and Christ. And we'll actually see that continue through the rest of the Joseph cycle in some really fun ways. So we hear that at the end of chapter 41, it says, so when the famine had spread, this is the famine that Joseph's interpretation of the dreams had indicated was coming. Joseph opened up all the storehouses sold to the Egyptians for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, important here, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. Now we open up in chapter 42 and what do we hear? When Jacob a name we have not heard for some time. Remember, Jacob is Joseph's father. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I've heard that there's grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us that we may live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land 
of Canaan. Okay, so Joseph's brothers, uh, Joseph's family, they've been where they are at. They've been in Canaan, and they are being struck by the famine, as is the uh, as is everyone across the earth. And Egypt has the goods, and mm-hmm. so they're going to go into Egypt. And it's a very simple explanation why J- Jacob tells us they're going into Egypt because they have no food. Yep, they're in a they're in desperate situation here. They they basically they will they will die apart from securing help from Egypt or as we know from Joseph. So already you can find the metaphors beginning to emerge. They are as good as dead if this is an unsuccessful journey into seek help from the hand of Joseph. So they head out and interestingly, Benjamin does not go along because to continue the theme we've seen throughout Jacob's life, he has favored Rachel over Leah and he continues to favor Rachel's children over the children of Leah. Can you even imagine how perilous this journey was for these brothers to take in a time of famine? And yet he's like, go, go on, get gone, go, go, go work out my problems. Uh, and he holds Benjamin back because he fears harm will, will come to him. But does he fear harm would come to the others? No. No. No, no, he doesn't. Uh, and it says in verse six, now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Not done. done. Here we are. We're That's in a the moment. fulfillment of his dream. It is absolutely right here in this moment in Egypt, not in Canaan, but yeah. it is happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and he spoke roughly to them. And this begins a period of kind of questioning. And we get these very long kind of uh, dialogues between Joseph and his brothers in the last eight chapters of the book of Genesis. And I, I, I think my largest question is this, because Joseph is going to ask them questions. He interrogates them. He tests them. Like, uh, like he sends, uh, he basically sends them back and is like, bring Benjamin with you. And then uh, he tricks them a couple of times. There's a lot that's going on here. And I guess this is my question. Why does Joseph play games with them in this way? Is he like baiting them? That's kind of what it feels like, right? I mean, now, is he just hurt and he's operating out of that woundedness? That's the psychotherapeutic <laughs> approach to dealing with the passage. Yeah, we need a family of origin study on Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I argue the way you are. This is, you know, hurt people hurt people, right? And is right. this what doing or is there a larger thing happening? I, yeah, I'll, I'll jump in because, Jen, you're probably right. And I'm going to go ahead and get my nonsense <laughs> out of the way. But there's probably about 20 years. Uh, I think mm-hmm. the last I read is 22 years between the time his brothers had sold him into slavery till this point. And one of the, this is oversimplified, but one of two things could have happened to him over time. Maybe he's softened, softened towards his brothers or he's hardened. I mean, you could imagine being sold into slavery, then sitting in prison for a year, 22 years go by. And you would probably be thinking a lot about what would I do to my brothers? What would I do to my family if I ever saw them again? And here he has this chance. And my read on it is I think he's really trying to see, is my family still the same that they are? Like, are they still operating with the same kind of dysfunction? now that they're in a situation of desperation or has God's grace somehow transformed them? Have have any of them repented from what they did to me? And I think what we're going to see with Judah here in a few chapters is, is that's what he's going to see is that one of his brothers has had a significant change, but Jen, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, and that's an important brother to have had a significant change because Judah was instrumental in him being sold into slavery in the first place. So this is a redemption cycle for Judah. We're going to see Judah um, actually end up placing himself as surety, you know, for the, for the return of Benjamin to, to, to the scene. And so he actually, he acts as a substitute basically for, 
for Benjamin. So this is why it's important for us to uh, stay rooted in the story as a whole. And this is a long set of chapters. And so often you'll find sections of this are picked out and taught on their own. But when we see the whole arc of Joseph's story, he is uniformly a person of honor, a person of deep thoughtfulness and consideration. And he is someone concerned with motive. And so I believe that what he's doing here is he's pressing them on motive. He puts them in a series of different circumstances so that the real reason behind what they're doing or their real heart toward one another and toward their father and toward Benjamin, all of that can become clear to him so that he will know then how to act. So I actually think what he's doing is demonstrating a great deal of wisdom. Okay. That makes sense. So Joseph, um, he, first off, he locks them up because he's like, uh, you know, you guys are spies and, you know, he's, again, he's, he's, kind of goading them, I think, really to see what comes out. And then it says, on the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live. For I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your household and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. And they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress come upon us. And Reuben answered him, did I not tell you not to sin against this boy? But you did for, but you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. Uh, They did not know Joseph understood them for there was an interpreter between them and they turned away from them and wept or Joseph turned away and wept. And And there it is. This is where I love him so much. He's super squishy. He is. Like he's such a sweet guy and he just loses it because he so much wants for there to be redemption for Mm -hmm. these, these guys. I'm not there yet, but I'm glad he is. I'm still like, no, I think let him get a little skinnier first. Yeah. Well, and he's going to, he's not done with them, right? So he has them, he sends them home and he sends them home, not just with the provisions, but with the money they paid. And when they find out, they're like, oh no, (laughs) what happened here? This does not look good. This guy already thought we were spies. And now our money that we paid for these provisions has been put back into our sacks. They actually say, what is this that God has done to us? Okay. Mm -hmm. These guys are, they, they are scared. They are they're, alarmed. Yeah, they're super into karma too. They're like, uh, you know, they're like, Oh, <laughs> right. uh, so when they came to Jacob, their father in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened. And then they said, we're honest men. We've never been spies. We're 12 brothers, sons of our father. One is no more. The youngest is to stay with our father in the land of Canaan. The man said, by this, I shall know that you're honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you're not spies and I will deliver your brother to you and you shall trade in the land. And uh, so they emptied out their sacks and they realized, listen, Jacob is, Jacob's response to this is what? Hey, you've already taken one of my sons, mm-hmm. right? Now, when he says, you have bereaved me of one of my children, Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin. Is this, is, is Jacob, is he reflecting that he holds them culpable? Like when he says, you've already taken one, bereaved me of one of my children, is this a moment where Jacob is admitting that he understands? Is this just like, hey, you should have protected your brother? Or is, or is maybe Jacob more, is he, is he showing that maybe he assumes more? I don't know. That's a really good question. I don't, I don't know that I have an answer for that, but he, he's at the very least, they all knew in the moment that the Reuben in particular knew he was going to be held responsible if, if, you know, for whatever had gone amiss with him. So he, he knows to attribute blame to them. He probably doesn't know the full extent of the blame that he owes them, but notice that Jacob is being classic Jacob here. He says, you have bereaved me of my children. And then he goes on to say, all this has come against 
me. So he's got that I'm in my mind syndrome again, where it's like, all of this is my problem and you make life hard for me. Um, And these are hard words for them to hear, you know, because the remaining sons are like, thanks a lot. You know, I mean, obviously you only cared about these other people. And Ruben's response is, listen, like, kill my two sons if I don't bring your son back. And Mm -hmm. Jacob is not having it at this point. He just said, my son is not going. Benjamin is not going with you. For his brother is dead and he is the only one left. Yeah, ouch. Like he's the only one left basically means the rest of you I kind of count as worth nothing. Right. And uh, so that pretty much kills the conversation. But it says in chapter 43, now the famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, the father said to them, go again and buy us a little food. And what does Judah say? Judah's like, hey, listen, we can't go back into Egypt without Benjamin, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. We, you can't have a set foot back there. Like, and I'm sure they're thinking too, this guy thought we were spies. We, wa- we walked out of Egypt with not only our provisions, but the money in our sacks. Like, if we go back into this guy, uh, into this place without Benjamin, he might kill us, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Or at least lock us up for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it, it says, Israel said to him, uh, interesting change there from Israel to Jacob. Israel said, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the men that you had another brother? They replied, the men questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would have said, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, he basically says, send the boy with me. I, I'm like, I'm vouchsafing for mm-hmm. him. Like I, if I, if somebody's going down, I'm going down. Mm-hmm. And this is his moment. This is always in the narrative. Watch Judah. This is why we've already had that section, the weird section with Judah and Tamar. Pay attention to Judah. And here we see Judah has become the opposite of who he was when he sells Joseph into slavery. He is now the one who is contending for the safety of Benjamin with his own life. And I think this is what Joseph is hoping to see in his brothers. Like he's hoping to see, and you're going to see it here at the end of of chapter 44 also, that he's hoping to see that his brothers, specifically Judah, the one who sells him into slavery, is repentant and is, Mm -hmm. is, is a changed man and is being sanctified by God's grace in his life. And we also need to remember, we talked about how the the three brothers who were older than Judah in the birth order, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, have all committed acts uh, against their father, which have removed them uh, materially from firstborn rights. And so we're now seeing Judah, not just um, in the position of being the firstborn, but behaving with the with the right uh, frame of mind as the one who would be the firstborn. He's, he's taking responsibility for things. He is um, willing to self-sacrifice for the good of others. So that's kind of a cool turn. So uh, Jacob is like, okay, fine. Let's put together a a gift package for him. So they start putting Mm -hmm. together a bunch of stuff for him. And um, before they leave, they have a, uh, essentially they have an opportunity, big dinner, a big feast. And uh, it says that they went. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the suitor of this house, bring them into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. The men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it's because of the money, which was replaced in our sacks for the, the first time that we were brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize uh, our donkeys which I love that idea that they're terrified that they're, they're going to be made servants and seize, seize our donkeys. Mm-hmm. Um, this is cue, cue the Admiral Akbar GIF. You know, this is, yeah. it's a trap. They really think <laughs> that they are. Are you guys proud of me? 
Oh, that yeah. That was really good. Absolutely. <laughs> I was not expecting that reference from you. Four brothers. Yep. Uh, so uh, essentially, they right when he walks in, they begin to apologize. And Joseph says to them, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Okay, so now he's delivered the brother. He's given Simeon mm-hmm. back to the rest of the brothers. And it says, and when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, they had washed their feet. When he had given their donkeys fodder, they had a meal together. And Joseph comes home. They brought into the house with him the present they had with him. They bowed down to him on the ground. Oh, and he, oh, dun, dun, dun. They just did it again, guys. Boom. You're not into this fulfillment theme today. I feel like I'm trying to help you really embrace the story. And you're like, whatever, well, I got to keep moving. Well, I'm just, I know how much ground we have to cover. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and uh, it says he inquired he's talking about their welfare and he said hey is your father well see like Joseph is I feel like Joseph is really showing his hand here I mean they're like if I'm these guys I'm like why do you care about our dad he's not here you don't know him you're an Egyptian ruler you're asking me a lot of questions a lot of personal questions about our father is, is he still alive they said your servant our father as well he's still alive they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves are you gonna do your dun, dun, dun no again? i'm fine i'm totally fine. okay <laughs> i wanted to give you a moment and he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother benjamin his mother's son and said is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me god be gracious to you my son joseph hurried out for his compassion grew warm for his brothers and he sought a place to weep and he, he sought a place to enter his chamber and wept there yeah Tender-hearted guy. He's so adorable. Uh, yeah, he's also the second highest ruler in Egypt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just want a foot, you know, full, uh, well-rounded version of this guy. Um, he washed his face; it came out, controlling himself, served the food. So they have a meal together, and uh, they were like portions are taken from Joseph's table. They're sent over to Benjamin. Basically, Benjamin is given the seat of honor at this meal. Joseph is sending over good stuff to Benjamin. Uh, he's he's showing favor to Benjamin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it says, then he commanded the suitor of the house, fill them in sack with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of a sack. Put my cup, the silver cup in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. And then he lets him go. They're headed back to Jacob. They're headed back to Canaan. And what happens? A servant of Joseph rolls up and is like, hey, we need to check you guys out. We need to look at what you guys are packing in those bags. This is like the TSA for the ancient Near East. Like, open up your bags. Show me what you got. You can't bring that bottled water into this place. And what is it? It's this silver 3. cup. 3.5 ounces. That's mine. Give it to me. Exactly. Give that to me. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh. Uh, he takes, and they find the silver cup. Right? Yep. And they're, And the brothers are like, uh oh! Oh no! It says they tore their clothes, and every man and his man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. Because, like, right? They just failed the one thing they promised Joseph or Jacob. Mm-hmm. We're not going to do. We will bring Benjamin back. Mm-hmm. And now Benjamin's gone. It's bad. It's bad. But watch Judah. It's time to watch Judah again. Chapter 44, verse 14. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Uh. Okay. Uh, Engineer Brad, we're going to go ahead and give you permission to just put that in the game. I'm going to listen and make sure it's still in there. Okay. I thought Um, you were going to edit it out. No, I'm going to, I want him to put the big organ behind you. So every time you hit it, they fell before him. Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Do you not know, or do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination, which is a weird flex, but okay. Uh, 
<laughs> and Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of our servant, uh, uh, of our ser- uh, ourselves. God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servant, both we and he also, in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up into peace to your father. And then Judah went up to him and said, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears. And he begins to beg Mm -hmm. Joseph, petition, basically, whatever you've done, let it be done to me. Whatever you, Mm -hmm. whatever, whatever you think this boy is owed, put it on my account instead. I will stand in the gap for this. Um, Mm -hmm. And he's really, gosh, like he is, he's on bended knee pleading Mm-hmm. that he could stand in Benjamin's stead here. Yeah. And this is the one who who basically did the opposite. Mm-hmm. He said, why tell Joseph when we can sell our brother? Like he's basically, you know, now he's saying, no, 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 I will I will leave myself here on, on for the sake of this brother. Yeah. So it's got to be a big moment for Joseph. Can you imagine mm-hmm. the the drama playing out for him? You know, he's like, so this is how you would, you would, regard this brother and that's going to be that's going to be what he's looking for Mm -hmm. and so he makes this appeal and uh joseph having heard this appeal it says that he could not control himself before all those who stood before him he cried make everyone go out from me so no one stayed with him when joseph made himself known to his brothers and he wept aloud so that the egyptians heard it and the household of pharaoh heard it and joseph said to his brothers i am joseph is my father still alive that is a really, like... That is high drama. It really is. Um, it's the third and, time he cried, too. And, you know, the craziest thing about it is, like, he's been talking to them about his dad, like, over and over and over again. And it's telling. I don't know what it's telling, but it's telling that, like, when he states his identity, I am Joseph, his, like, his next breath is is my father still alive? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I just, I don't know. As a son who really loves his dad, mm-hmm. I really resonate with this sentiment mm-hmm. of being like, uh, here I am and I have to know. Like, with like, I know you've been speaking in riddle. Like, you've probably been wondering why I'm asking. Like, I need to know right now. Mm-hmm. Is my dad still alive? Mm-hmm. You know? When I think it reveals how he's, for the, all of these years, what he's carried. You yeah. know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's just gut-wrenching that the loneliness and the isolation on top of all the hardship that he faced, but just he's alone in a foreign culture that he's, he's assimilated to out of necessity, but his heart is tied to his father and his family, even the family that cast him off. Yeah. So his brothers, though, they could not answer if they were just made at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, and he recounts the story, you know, and I'm, we're going to, I'm about to have to summarize a lot for the next chapters, mm-hmm. but I think this is worth reading. I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now you do not, uh, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there are yet five years in which there will not be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry up and go to my father and say to him, thus says your son, Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall 
dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, the brothers talked with him. So this is like, wow. I mean, this is this is a sermon, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it is like, here is what happened and here is what God was doing. Can I just read you from another passage that I think is going to sound familiar to you and just think about it with Joseph in this moment? Uh, He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. I think you see that here in the story of Joseph. Joseph is a type of the suffering servant for us before we see it applied to Christ later on in the in the in the gospels. And I just love how it all comes together. Yeah. Yeah, I wow. think so too. We don't need to spend time on on this, but just briefly, as I was reading it again to prepare for this, I think uh, you know, we live in a society and culture that and understandably so tries to um avoid suffering at any cost. Mm-hmm. Like we want to create a, a peaceful path for ourselves. There's nothing wrong with that. I want to have a peaceful life. I want my kids to have a peaceful life. But I, I think because of that, we're we're failing to learn how to rightly interpret suffering in our lives. Mm-hmm. It's always, we always want to view it through the lens simply of what so-and-so has done to me instead of seeing what Joseph does here. And obviously this is a little different. It's redemptive history, but he's able to give us a category of redemptive sovereignty in his life mm-hmm. that he is going to be the one who does suffer, uh, but he's doing, but God is the one who's doing something in him and in his family through his suffering. And so it's maybe it, to simplify it, maybe it's important for us when we're in seasons of suffering, not to ask the question, how long is this going to last or why is this happening? But the better question is, God, what are you forming in me in this season? And Joseph has been formed over these 20 years of being a dreamer and spending time in prison. I'm pretty sure had it been only a year and he meets his brothers in Egypt, he might have responded differently, right? Mm -hmm. But he spends these 20 years not just asking the question, why God or how long God, but God, what are you doing so that he's able to respond redemptively when the time comes? That's good. And I think also it's important for us to know, like you read a story like Joseph's, and you get closure. Like we get closure in this story. But in our stories, we don't always get closure. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why these stories are given to us so that when we are not receiving closure, we can say, no, I don't see it yet. But I can look back and point to times when it has been there and trust that the Lord has done it before and will do it again. Mm -hmm. Won't he do it? When oh, do gosh. It. Yes, he will. will. We were so close. <laughs> <laughs> so when Pharaoh heard about all this, he's thrilled and he shows honor to Joseph's family, right? Yeah. He gives them the fat of the land. He basically is like, take as much supplies as you need, take the best of the supplies, and they roll out back to Canaan um, so that they can 
bring Jacob and the rest of the family back. So they went up out of Egypt. They came to the land of Canaan to their father, Jacob, and they told him, Joseph is still alive and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their, uh, of their father, Jacob revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. And, the next chapter is a chapter really that kind of narrates this journey, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that Jacob is headed into Egypt and it, it, he actually receives a vision in route. God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Now, this is really telling because we've actually, God has already promised the patriarch that part of uh, Israel's journey is going to be to sojourn in another land for Mm -hmm. a number of years Mm -hmm. and that they will be made servants there. So Jacob might be remembering, hey, the... My forefathers have heard that we might end up in a displaced in another land and that that may not be good for us. But God is repeating the promise here. I'm going to go with you into Egypt. I'm going to make you a great nation in Egypt. And then I promise I'm going to bring you up again. You're not going to mm-hmm. stay there forever. Uh, and uh, that's got to be some consolation to Jacob, who probably is looking at Egypt, which is a superpower at this point and go like, are we about to get demolished in Egypt? Well, not only that, but you know, the original audience is conditioned to think, do not go down to Egypt. I mean, that's going to be the refrain that they'll hear over and over again. And we've already seen instances in Genesis where going down to Egypt was the wrong choice. And that's why here we have an interjection from God himself saying, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. That for this, this time of provision, that's exactly where he wants them to be. And you know, Exodus is a birth narrative. And in this, we're seeing that, you know, that we have, we have um, Israel in seed form. This small family is going to go into Egypt and they're going to, they're going to incubate basically. I mean, that's where the fruitfulness is going to happen sort of uh, in, in the, in the, in the, to use female language, the fertile womb of Egypt. And then they will be birthed from there as a mighty nation on the other side of it. Yeah, and that small family is a very important note. At the about halfway through four, chapter forty-six, we're getting a line mm-hmm. of descent, all of the names of the children uh, and the family members in Jacob's household. And it says in verse twenty-six, all the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons' wives, were sixty-six persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were seventy. Now, I don't know if you know this, but when they leave Egypt, there's more than 70. More than 70. Lots more. Mm -hmm. They grow significantly. And Exodus opens up by basically telling us they grow so big within the bounds of Egypt that Egypt starts getting worried that like they could be a legitimate threat. Now, take Mm -hmm. that into account. Egypt is a superpower. So for Egypt to be looking at Israel, this family of 70 that moves in, and to think they're a threat, we're talking about Israel being a large group of people mm-hmm. in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. You know, in a century or maybe a little bit more, a little bit less, Israel is able to multiply significantly within the context of Egypt. 
I've got just a quick idea that I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on. I think this number 70 is accurate, but I also think it's significant as it Mm -hmm. parallels the 70 nations and the table of nations in Genesis chapter 10. Uh, And I'm wondering if you guys think that Moses might be doing some kind of chiasm or parallel here to say that there are 70 nations, but here this one nation comprised of 70 people is going to be the nation that blesses all of these nations. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but it's yeah, going to come from this seed form. So I think I think he's doing something theologically significant with this number also. Yes, yep. I agree. Agreed. Yeah, seven Glad times 10. Completeness time, times completeness. Yep. The CSB Life Council Bible provides biblical counsel and practical wisdom for pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, parents, couples, and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of God's Word. It includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected Christian counselors and scholars. Visit CSBLifeCouncilBible.com to get your copy today. Visit CSBLifeCouncilBible.com to get your copy today. Have you ever wondered what is God's heart towards you? In this noisy world, God's heart beats hard with love and mercy. But how can God share his heart with us when he doesn't have our attention? You're invited to spend 100 days discovering the beautiful, merciful heart of God with Overflowing Mercies, a new devotional by Craig Allen Cooper. The Lord is not ashamed of you or quick-tempered toward your faults. Each one of your weaknesses, faults, frailties, and failures does more to arouse God's love than to stir up His anger. If you could fathom in some small way how warmly God truly feels about you, the faintest grasp of His immeasurable affection would reduce you to tearful wonder and heartfelt gratitude. As God's mercies are new every single morning, overflowing mercies will continue to be a constant well of refreshing comfort, encouragement, and strength. It's perfect for personal quiet times, family and dinner table devotions, and small groups. Let this devotional help you get intentional, stay connected to God, and continue loving others. Order your copy of Overflowing Mercies, 100 Meditations on the Tender Heart of God today at moodypublishers.com or wherever great books are sold. So uh, Jacob's family settles there in Goshen and Joseph continues to be a significant agent of blessing, not only to his own family, but to the nations as well. I mean, basically Joseph's interpretation of these dreams and his leadership at the right hand of Pharaoh, not only salvages Egypt, not only salvages Israel, but salvages like the world, mm-hmm. uh, Jacob's uh, provision or the provision uh, of the feast years, the years of abundance, the storehouse years uh, end up becoming God's blessing to the earth, to all the families in the earth, both mm-hmm. uh, Israel and other families. And, um, you know, it's interesting because uh, jo- uh, Jacob grows ill and he's, he's old. Mm-hmm. And he's he's beginning to die, and it says that. But is he? Yeah, he's a little how, like he's a little like you know Monty Python. I'm not dead yet. Like you think you're on his death. There's like three times where we get a deathbed it's scene. It's true. It is a little bit of a false start. Mm-hmm. Um, but it says, uh, "Behold, your father is ill." So he took with him his two sons, Manessa and Ephraim, and it was told to Jacob, "Your son." Did Joseph- you say Vanessa? No, I said Manessa. <laughs> Manasseh? Manasseh. That's what I'm saying. Okay. It sounds like you said. 
Am I? You thought I said Vanessa? Because that's what you said. I did not say Vanessa. God help me. Vanessa and Ephraim. Um, oh my gosh, Vanessa. Okay. okay. Uh, let me let me be clear. Manasa. Jo- Joseph. Ha, Joseph. Ha. <laughs> yeah, Joseph took with him Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told, your, your son Joseph has come to you. Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make of you a company of peoples and will give you this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh. So good. <laughs> uh, shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers and their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Paddan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? Joseph said to his father, these are, they are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said to them, bring them to me, please that I may bless them. And we get here another one of those weird instances of one child is supposed to receive, quote unquote, supposed to receive the blessing and yet the other one does, right? Oh yeah. And plus it says that, uh, it says that his eyes are weak. Um, Verse 10, when the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he Mm -hmm. could not see. So he's basically in the same position that his father Isaac was in at the point that he stole the birthright. I mean, the blessing Mm -hmm. from, from his brother. um, What was his name? Esau. Esau. Yeah. 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 And and even when Joseph tries to correct him, because he lays, he crisscrosses his arms. Yeah. He's sneaky. I mean, he's like fancy with it. Yeah, yeah, he crisscrosses his arms to bless uh, Ephraim, who was the younger, uh, and uh, his. So he's putting his right hand. Right hand is the sign of uh, right being at the right hand of the father. It's the sign of fundamental inheritance. So it's very significant that his right hand is going on the really the primary recipient of his blessing. So right hand goes on Ephraim, who was the younger, his left hand on the hand of Manasseh. He's crossing his hands to bless them. He begins to bless. And it says, when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand and moved it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know my son, I know. He's like, yeah, listen, dude, I get this. I know exactly what I'm up to here. He also shall become a people and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. And so fascinating, fascinating, fascinating um, that Jacob chooses to bless these descendants in this way. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so interesting that they're like, his birth and his death, there are all these times when the birth and the death stories of these patriarchs have such incredible resonances mm-hmm. between the two, you know? Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that here with Jacob. There's a cool thing that happens here when he speaks in verse 21. It says, Israel said to Joseph, behold, I'm about to die. And I, I'm just saying, he keeps hanging on for a while here. So he's being a little dramatic. I'm about to die. And then he says, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. And we skipped over the little part where he made them swear to carry his his remains with them. Um, so he's like determined, you know, that they're going to end up exactly where they're supposed to. But when he says God will be with you 
to Joseph, there's this tying together of a theme that has tracked through his whole life. Because in chapter 28, God said that he was with him. He told Jacob, I'm with you. And then in chapter 31.3, he told him again, I will be with you. And then in 31.5 and 35.3, Jacob acknowledges God has been with me. And then here he says, God will be with you. So he understands, you know, it's like it's taken him all of this time to get that God is traveling with his people. He is with Mm -hmm. his presence goes with them and his, and his purposes will endure uh, no matter where switchy, switchy hands go or, you know, who sees what or who, you know, whether someone pulls the wool over someone else's eyes, that God's will is going to prevail. Yeah, and from now on, we're going to refer to Jacob as switchy, switchy hands. Um, <laughs> switchy hands <laughs> with his grandson, Vanessa. Yeah, with his uh-huh. grandson, Vanessa. This is, uh, this is uh, Jen and I's translation of yeah. uh, the last yeah. eight chapters of Genesis. But another cool thing about this scene is that the children of Joseph are children of a mixed heritage. Joseph mm-hmm. has married the daughter of an Egyptian priest. Yep. And so there's a huge redemptive theme that we see here that these two tribes are made up, the heads of these two, these tribes, the half tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim are, are actually a mix of, of, um, of Israelite and, and Egyptian. Yep. Little promise in there. Jacob calls his sons together, says, gather yourselves. I want to tell you what's going to happen to you in the days to come. And he begins to prophesy basically telling them this is what's coming for you. And I'm not going to go through all of these. Um, basically, he goes through his children and says, this is what you should expect mm-hmm. um, in the days ahead. This is what this is how your life is going to bear itself out. Um, and uh, he, he receives the blessing of his children and he blesses his children and he dies. He dies. And where do they bury him? They bury him in Egypt. In Egypt, um, yes, they do. But he tells them not to. Like he's like, basically, make sure, make sure that I end up where I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. He commanded them, "I'm to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field at Machpelah, mm-hmm. to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last, and was gathered to, to his, his people." people. At last. At last. Yep. At last. So, mm-hmm. And then wait, wait, wait. Look at verse one of chapter 50. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept. Oh, he's still crying. And we actually skipped over two other times he cried too. He's so sweet. Yep. And okay. they embalm him. Yeah. Well, that's what's so cool. It's not cool. It's a little weird. But like if he had died pretty much anywhere else in, in the region, you know, there wouldn't going to be much to carry up at some point down the road, but instead he dies and we'll see that Joseph dies, spoiler alert, um, in Egypt where, what are they most known for? The preservation of bodies, which is a little creepy to think about, but also kind of relevant to the story. Yep. And he, um, after the embalming, he begs Pharaoh and says, hey, like, let me go and bury my father. Um, uh, you know, my father told me where to bury him. And Pharaoh said, go up, bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph, w- Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh. Wow. The elders of his household and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as the household of Joseph, his brother. So basically, Jacob is his funeral wake, his funeral procession deal. is a big deal. It's not just Jacob's family. It's like, a bunch of people from Egypt, a bunch of high level people. This is like a, this is like when somebody in political office dies and they lie in state, you know, this mm-hmm. is a big deal. Um, 
And uh, yes, there was it, was, it was clear here um, that Joseph was being faithful to the wishes of his father and they lay him down and they bury him. Uh, and this is when we get what is probably the most quoted part of the whole of Genesis 42 through 50. Uh, when Joseph brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us. He'll pay us back for everything that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke Wait, to him. What did he do? He wept. <laughs> he wept, okay. guys. Um, He's been humbled. Um, his brothers also came and fell down before him. Dun, dun, dun. You missed it. I did it for um, And said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for, I am, uh, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted and he spoke kindly to them. And this is a, you know, this really functions as like the bumper sticker, I feel like, on the story of Joseph. Mm -hmm. You know, what men have meant for evil, God has purposed for good. And mm -hmm. you get that unveiling when Joseph shows himself to his brothers and he narrates the story. I mean, he basically says this in narrative form many chapters previous to this. Mm -hmm. When he tells them, like, you didn't do this. This was really God's work of uh, uh, that he did. He just did it through you. And here he says it very clearly. Hey, I love you. I care about you. I'm going to provide for you because even though you meant to do something bad, God purposed it for good. And that really has become, uh, I think for many people, a real, uh, this narrative and that verse in particular, a place of consolation mm -hmm. when they consider the trials and hurdles and travails of being a human in a broken world, that there are times in which we can't see that what is happening um, or when we feel tossed about by the evil and broken purposes mm -hmm. of people in the world or evil and broken impact of people in the world, uh, that God uh, on the uh, across the whole will be purposing it all for good. Hmm. Well, and I would speculate, I would actually say fairly firmly that I think Paul has this scene in mind when he says that God is able to work all things together um, for the good of those that love him. Yeah. Because Joseph is someone who loved him. Joseph's story concludes with basically him petitioning his brothers, saying, hey, I'm about to die. God's going to visit you, and he'll bring mm -hmm. you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And uh, this is where the story of Genesis ends right here with Joseph having died and with his family being in Egypt, uh, with Jacob out of the picture. Uh, and now there is a question mark. Mm -hmm. What's going to happen? What's going to happen with this? Yeah. And that's exactly how we're supposed to feel. I mean, we're supposed to, because the original audience is like, they know this story. They know it, they know it, they know it. And so you're left thinking, well, if everything is so rosy at the end of Genesis, how did things get so terrible? Because they, right. you know, that's that's the history they know. And so Moses is going to tell the rest of it when you just turn that page. And, you know, the, yeah. first, the first word in the book of Exodus that we don't see there in our version is and. Yeah. It says and, and then it moves into the next the next portion of the story. But we're not going to. But we're not going to. No. We're we're going to stop 
um, we find ourselves with Israel in the land or in Egypt, in a foreign land, um, and uh, with really the two, both the patriarch of our family dead and the person who represented us in Egypt dead, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And uh, I have to think that for Joseph's family, when he died, I would imagine they started to think, hmm, Hmm. I wonder who is going to, (laughs) I wonder who's going to represent us in front of this ruler who really liked Joseph. Uh, And we find out in Exodus that that is where the problem lies for Israel. Well, and am I wrong to think, I mean, I think I've heard this, that just as we have the intertestamental period of about 400 years, you have this about 400 years of them in Egypt where you have a silence basically in leadership between Joseph and then the appearance of Moses on the scene. Is that a weird connection or is that valid? No, I know there is some length of time before that happens. I don't know how long that length of time is. Yeah, I don't either. Okay, great. I hope our listeners are all feeling really confident about our levels of preparedness when we enter into these conversations. <laughs> don't ask me questions I don't know the answer to. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm naming my next kid Vanessa. That's all Vanessa. What was the but other one? Spell it with spell it with an M. Um, <laughs> hey, listen, we are so glad and honored that you have joined us for two seasons of exploring the book of Genesis. And next year, we'll, we'll take the same approach in the fall and the spring. Um, but we'll be doing a deep dive in one book again. And there's plenty in this book, trust me. And we're going to be talking about what that book is in our next episode, which will be our Q&A episode, our last episode of the season. Uh, and so we're just, I just want to say, from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you guys for listening. We have really had fun. We've had fun having guests on. Mm -hmm. And I have learned so much studying through the book of Genesis this way. I honestly, I was... Uh, I felt like this was a book that I felt pretty comfortable with. But even just a couple episodes ago when we were exploring the connection with... Jacob, uh, with uh, Jacob and Joseph, and then mm-hmm. with Jesus, with Joseph, and seeing those connections, I, these were things I had never even considered. Uh, and so, this has been so fun to study this together. It really has. Yeah. One story from beginning to end. I love it. It's incredible. Um, you can join the conversation by finding us on social media at Knowing Faith Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. If you want some cool behind the scenes stuff or some other perks that we have going on, you can go to patreon.com slash knowing faith uh, and you can find out more over there. We'd be happy for you to check us out over there. In our next episode, we're going to have a lot of fun. These are always a little bit wild west uh, answering some of your questions. And so I hope they see you there and hope for you to listen in. Grace and peace.